lately in South LA, I've been trying to build relationships with different people. I've been going to the park, a lot of people down there have a lot of baggage with Christianity. When I say the term pastor, they have all these misunderstandings. For example, they call, they don't call me that, they call me pastor. They call my wife first lady. It's kind of a weird perspective. When I say church, there's tons of baggage When I say Christianity, there's a lot of misunderstanding that they have. I'm realizing that most people down in South LA have some experience with the church. They might even say they go to church. And he says he's a Christian. He says he goes to church. But he doesn't that I've been building a relationship with. He was a part of a big church down there. And then after a while, the thing that he said was, he just got tired of and so I gave him the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And I'm hoping over the next few weeks that we'll be able to start meeting together and talk about what it really means to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Not just to claim Christ, claim Christianity, say you go to church, kind of say the right things, but really live by faith. And I don't know if you guys have spent much time with the gospel of Luke. I think I spent time with Mark about 10 years ago. I studied a lot. I spent a lot of time with Matthew. This semester I'm teaching John. And Luke has been a book that I've often overlooked. But the more that I study and the more that I read different books about social justice and inner city type ministry, everyone's quoting the book of Luke. And one theme throughout the book of Luke is this idea of faith. You see Jesus going from city to city to city. He's showing compassion to the poor. He's reaching out to the outcasts, the widows, the people that are homeless, the people that have issues, that have diseases. But throughout the stories, you keep seeing, it's almost like there's a pause, but push. And Jesus pauses and focuses on the person and says, look at, this, look at this person's face. I've never seen that before. For example, remember the four friends with the paralytic? And Jesus was doing something in a house and all of a sudden the roof opens up and there's four friends lowering this paralytic guy. And he looks up and he says to them, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. So that was a lesson at that moment. And then a few chapters later, you see this centurion coming and his daughter was sick and about to die. And Jesus couldn't come and heal at that moment. And the centurion said, just say the words. Just say the words and 
And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Or do you remember that crazy woman that got down by Jesus' feet and was crying and used her hair to clean his feet? He looked at her and he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Or that woman, remember she had that 12-year woman issue, you know? And nobody could heal her, no doctor could say anything to her. And she just wanted to touch his robe because she believed that God would heal her. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Again and again, a leper comes up to Jesus and he looks at your faith. A blind man comes up and he says, your faith. And so the theme of each of these people throughout the gospel is that they had this unique faith. And there were all these religious people that were doing the right thing, saying the right thing, praying these great prayers, doing these great acts of righteousness. But then Jesus was always grabbing those weirdos out and he said, look at that person's faith. That's what I'm looking for. Not only did all these people have faith, but every single one of these people that had faith were also in a desperate situation. Faith, a, a genuine faith in God is often related to being in a desperate, hopeless situation. For me, I don't like desperate, hopeless situations. I like when my life is secure, I would never typically choose to put myself in a situation that's insecure or where I might not know the outcome or where it's unsafe. For example, I hate, I hate flying. I don't know how many of you guys love flying. I hate flying. Last time I was on a plane, I was with Red Divya. And my wife was sitting next to me, the plane takes off, and we start hitting turbulence. My wife, she loves turbulence. It's just like, just kind of rocks her to sleep. But I'm sitting there like grabbing the handles, the arm handles, armrest. I look across the aisle and there's Mark, and he's, he's feeling the same thing. We're like, saying our prayers, confessing all of our sins, because we know we're going to die. I mean, I have my best time with the Lord on the plane. But I hate it. Like, I'll count down the days before a flight because I think I might die. Like, I get my, my will in order to make sure that my kids are taken care of. I'm serious. Because I love stability. I love safety. I love security. Now think about this. Think about your life. A lot of times when our finances are in order, we feel good, right? All the money's in place. All the bills are paid. I'm good. I'm good. Or we, if we have all the possessions that we need, our cars working, our house is not broken, and the boss is not leaving, we don't need to replace our appliance. Everything's good. Or maybe we find security in our family. You know, my wife and I, my husband and I, we're good. I got friends. Everyone loves me. But what we do is we begin to stabilize our lives with these possessions, with this money, with our finances, with our friends and family. And what does God do? 
Because he wants to walk with us and he will just turn those things out. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Because we say, oh God, I need you. You're my shepherd. You don't need me. You have this person and this person. Like, I'm not even your backup plan. I'm like your And what God does often is He He removes some of those things and people that we find security in, whether it be our health, our family, our friends. And instead, He puts Himself into our lives so that we can stabilize our life and find true security And So what I want to talk about today is how do we get ourselves to a place where we are desperate for Him. I'm going to talk about prayer, but I want to first talk about this idea of having a desperate faith. Because each of these women and each of these men that are talked about in the Gospels that had this faith, all of them were in these desperate situations. They couldn't cling to anyone else but God. And because of that, they had a unique, supernatural faith that Jesus wanted to highlight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. This is one of my favorite About prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read all eight verses, and then we're going to read all eight verses in Spanish. And so Luke 18, verse 1 says this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to them, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, so I love this parable. You know some parables you read and you're like, This parable I love because in verse 1, I call this a parable for idiots like me. Because in verse 1, he just says, here's the point. If you lose me in the story that I'm about to tell you, verse 1, just keep coming back. It says, he told them to the, a parable to the effect that they have always to pray and not lose heart. So, we're going to pause for a I don't think I've ever met a single Christian that has said, my prayer life is right where I want it to be with God. Everybody says, I can pray more, I can pray like this or that. There's always room to improve with prayer. So, think for a moment. What are you happy with? As you think about the type of requests you present to him, as you think about the people you pray for, are you happy with how you pray? 
tan contentos you think God is pleased que Dios está obviously he's listening to you sí, está muy but do you feel like you pray prayers of faith Pero piensa que está de fe where you are going to be surprised because you're praying that separately or is prayer to you more something you do to help you fall asleep at night you know it's like I'm just going to pray quiet my mind or do you just go through a list you got a great list and you go through that list 10 or anytime maybe once a year or twice a year you get on a prayer kick and you pray for 20, 30, 40 minutes think about your prayer life because I'm not going to tell you how to pray today I'm not going to say you need to pray an hour a day or you need to pray in the morning, afternoon, evening or like the Muslims do five times a day I'm not how Instead, I'm going to hopefully reveal why you may not be praying the way you should. Because this parable, if you learn the lesson from this parable, you will pray consistently, you will pray desperately, you will pray prayers of faith. So look at verse 2. Here's the story. It says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this guy was He didn't care less about God. He was a judge that was put in place and he was supposed to honor the laws of the land and honor the laws of God. And he didn't care less about God. He thought that he was a God. Not only did he not fear God, but he had no respect for man. I mean, two main commandments, love God, love people, and hate God, not God's God himself. So, so far the story doesn't look that good. Look at verse 3. Here's the second character that's introduced. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So a widow in those days was not someone that was just without a spouse, just without a husband, but it was someone who had no family at all. They didn't have any cousins that could help them, any brothers and sisters, any extended family. This woman was completely alone. Because in those days, women could never be found in court. A court was a place for a man. And if this woman was in court, Pleading her case before a judge, it means that she had no one that would speak justice on her behalf. And she was pleading day and night, give me justice. So not only was she all alone, but there was an adversary. There was someone who was inflicting pain on her life, someone who was making her life basically a living hell. It says in verse 4, For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, so he, he's basically saying, Though I know I'm a jerk, I'm going to grant this widow's request because she's the biggest pain in the rear I've ever had in my court. 
That's what's being said here. And because of that, he gave justice. It wasn't because he looked at this widow and had some sort of compassion or he was drawn to her. There was no love. It was a selfish request. It was, he, he was tired of this woman just beating him down continually with this request. So look at verse 6. It says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. So he says, look at this. You have a widow that has no money. You have a judge that Now it makes this parallel, this contrast and comparison to God. And it says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So there's something about persistence. Coming to God again and again and again and again. Think back in Luke, a few chapters earlier in Luke 11. The disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Well, look at the Pharisees, you say their prayers are terrible. We pray like them. So how do you want us to pray? And so Jesus teaches them what we've termed the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. And then he uses a story that's very similar to this one about the widow. In Luke 11, verse 5, it says, and I'll read it and then we'll translate it. He said to him, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. That's a little weird. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So you see the similarity between these two stories? You have this friend, so he goes to his neighbor's house, his friend, and he begs and pleads, and the neighbor's like, no, I've already washed my feet, I'm in bed for the night, the house is closed up, go away. And it wasn't because they were friends, but it was because this grumpy friend, this grumpy neighbor, just didn't want to be bothered by his persistence. And his request was granted. You have this widow that was just this annoyance to this judge. And because of her persistence, God granted the request. In Luke 11, it goes on to something that you're familiar with. In verse 9 it says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock. So the way I've thought about this before is football. I think you guys like football. I hate football, I don't get it. I think it's just a game for dudes that have anger issues. But imagine this. Imagine you. Imagine this. You are the wide receiver. And you have the quarterback. The quarterback is about ready to tell you to play. 
And you interrupt him and you're like, no, he's like, no, no, I got something else in mind. And the wide receiver says, no, no, you got it, you got to give me the ball. So the wide receiver goes to the line of scrimmage, he hikes the ball, the quarterback hits the ball. That, when he asked for the ball, that was asking. Cuando él pidió us in Luke 11 and Luke 18 about how we should pray. Now, we could walk away at this point from this parable and just think, okay, so what I'm going to do now, what Matt's taught me is I'm going to be an annoying neighbor to God. I'm going to be like that persistent widow. My goal each day is to come before God. I'm going to annoy the junk out of him. I am going to bother him. I'm going to seek to be the biggest annoyance of all of his children and then he's going to give me whatever he wants, whatever I want. Is that the point of the parable? No. Keep going here. Look what it says and go back to Luke 18. Here's the key of the parable. It says in verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? It says in verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, God is not going to this unrighteous judge. We don't have to bother him and somehow try to bend his arm to convince him that we, that our requests need to be heard and answered. God is nothing like this judge. It says he will, he'll not delay long over us. That he will speedily give us justice? The issue in this parable is are we anything like this widow? Because we know God is nothing like this judge, but is there any similarity in our life, in our walk with the Lord to this widow? When we come before God, when we come before Him with such desperation, do we do that? Or like I said before, do we have a backup plan? Or do we just kind of put a request before Him? God, I pray for my kids. I pray that you will save them. But honestly, I think I'm a great dad. I think I'm shepherding them well. I think they're going to get saved with or without you, but I know I need to pray for my kids. Or I pray for my neighbor. I want them to come to know you. But honestly, I'm pretty darn good at sharing the gospel. So... I would love your help. But at the same time, God, 
I think I got it covered. Do we approach life that way? Do you honestly need God? Do you need Him? If He doesn't come through for you, you have no other backup plan. Like, for example, with health. I know some of you guys have health issues. And I'm not against doctors at all. I think doctors are great, but a lot of times, what do we do as Christians? When we get sick, we go to the medicine cabinet. And we try to get a pill to help us. And then after that doesn't work, we try to get a prescription. And then we go to a doctor. If that doctor doesn't help us, we go to a second doctor to get a second opinion. If they don't help, then we go to a specialist. And then what? And then we pray. Prayer is so far down the list. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to doctors or we shouldn't look to medicine. But why is it that God is never the one that we look to first. Because everything in our life is taken care of. You see, God is looking for a people that are like this widow where they live day in and day out by faith. Where they don't pray because it's a good thing to do or a pastor told them to do. But they pray because they know if they don't, they're going to fall. For example, lately, the last couple weeks in South LA, every morning I wake up with thoughts like, you need to go home. You are stupid for being here. You're going to fail. You're a failure already. Those are my thoughts as soon as I wake up. And so let me tell you, if I don't go to God in prayer, my wife doesn't want to have anything to do with me that day because I'm just drooping around, not wanting to be with anyone. And so I'm having to go to God in prayer. I'm watching my thoughts wander, my affections wander. I'm watching me say silly and simple things. Like, if I don't go to God in prayer, I'm watching myself not be able to follow Him the way He's asked me to follow Him. Think about this widow again. This widow knew that no one else could plead her case and no one else could give her justice. And because of that, she put herself in a posture of not only persistence, but a posture of having faith in the only one that could grant her request. Throughout the Bible, you have these stories of people who believe God. Like as you look at human history, you have biography after biography and autobiographies about all these people that doubted God, all these people that looked at God and said, I don't think you exist. Or they lived, they lived lives where they thought God couldn't do something. They looked at God and they're like, that's impossible. But the beauty of this story, the beauty of this history, of human history, is that it includes a bunch of ordinary dudes ordinary girls, men and women that just believe God do the impossible. Think about like Joshua. In the Old Testament, Joshua, he was battling, he was leading the Israelites, he was battling Joshua's men. And he knew that the sun needed to 
stay up in order for him to achieve victory everything in him told him that the sun rises the sun sets the sun rises but he believed God that if he asked God for the sun to stand still that it would and that was the only day up until that point and it's the only day since that the sun stood still or think about Moses where he just he put his staff in the waters of the Red Sea and the walls of the water Up. It looks impossible, but God says it's possible. Or think about Elijah when he believed. He believed that it would rain, right? And it didn't rain for three years. This is the one they could do on the ground. So people, they couldn't even put a straw to their grass to get some water. These people, they looked at the situation that looked impossible. And yet they still believe that God could somehow make a way. And look at this widow. This widow had no place else to turn. Most people would have looked at this widow and said, you're done. Your adversary is We know the judge that we have in this city. He doesn't care about God or people. But she had faith believing that her request would be granted. So my question for you is, do you live a life of faith? Or do you just simply have some good theology? Think about that. Do you just kind of understand God correctly? In other words, you know that God is good. You know that He's all powerful. You know that God can do something. But very rarely do you believe that God will do something. In other words, every single one of you probably believe that God, that Jesus Christ, that God the Father, that the Spirit of God has the power to do anything He wants to do. But how often do you guys actually believe that He will do something that you request? Think about that. So often when I pray, I'll pray like lately I've been praying consistently. I've been walking around the high school in my neighborhood. I've been seeing some of these high schoolers and the gangs and stuff. And I'm like, God, I'm going to pray persistently. I'm just going to beg you day in and day out to do something. But when I was studying this passage this week, God's like, you're praying persistently, but you don't believe me. And that was so convicting. Because I was like, I'm going to just pray and pray and pray and pray, but God, this is big. These, I mean, there's not a youth group in the area because no one believes that a lot of these high schools can be reached. And honestly, I don't know if they can. How often do you guys pray like that? You pray because you know it's the right thing to do. But honestly, you would be shocked if God actually came through and answered your request. Shouldn't our posture be different? Like, that we would be shocked and surprised if God didn't answer our request? Like in other words, we say, we come to God, we're like, God, I've been praying day in and day out for this, and you have yet to answer this. This, is, this doesn't make sense. Shouldn't that be our posture? Shouldn't that be our attitude toward God in prayer? 
You see, there was this guy in my life a couple years ago. When I first met him, he was 85 years old. His name was Cliff. He lived right across the street from me. And when I first met him, it was, it was, it was the first month Sarah and I were married. And I would come out on my little porch in the apartment. I looked across the street. This guy was scary to me. He was a World War II vet. And I would watch Mormons go up to the house, you know, the witnesses go up to the house, the witnesses. And I just watched him shoot him in the mouth. I was like, this guy is scary. So one day I started talking to him, developed a relationship with him. And over six years, I had the opportunity. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And there was this moment where he started getting sicker and sicker and sicker. He was 92. And he went to the hospital. And I remember his son called me and said, Matt, you need to get down here. It doesn't look good. He's going to die. And I remember driving down the hospital and I'm like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. You put me in his life. I've shared the gospel with him for six years and nothing. He kind of, because he likes me, because he likes my wife, my family, he listens to me, but you could tell he just didn't care. I'm like, God, you're going to let this guy die without knowing you. That just doesn't make sense. I remember I got there and I went to the waiting room and his son came out. And his son said, Matt, you need to go say goodbye. He's his oxygen levels are dropping. He's, he's going to pass away quickly. And I remember, this, I was just thinking, more this just doesn't make any sense. And at that time, I was reading through Luke and I was reading through this parable. And I remember, I pulled out my phone and I started texting some people to pray. And I said, my friend is about to die. Doctors say he's not going to live much longer, but I believe by faith that God can heal him. I, kn- I remember as soon as I said God can heal him, the Spirit of God just convicted me like that. As soon as I said can. And instead I deleted part of the text and I said, I believe by faith our God will heal him so that he might be saved. And so I prayed that prayer. My friends began to pray that prayer. And within 30 minutes, the grayness to his skin, and he ended up living through the night. And the next week, I was able to share the gospel with him, and he accepted the Lord, and then he died. And at that moment, I was shocked. I was like, "No way, God! I prayed." And you answered. That's amazing. And again, the Spirit of God convinces me. Like, why do you, do you think that prayer is just some weird spiritual exercise? Do you think it's? Do you think I don't care? Do you think that I don't want to be involved in life? From that point on. God began working on me and teaching me not to be surprised when He supernaturally comes through and changes situations, changes people's hearts, changes people's affections, restores marriages, 
I do pray that because this widow she was not going to relent until her request was granted this friend knocking he was not going to stop knocking until that bread was given and my question for you is is that how you pray and more broadly is that how you live your life in this desperation for Jesus that he has to come through for you I'll conclude with this verse this is verse you guys are familiar with it's 2 Corinthians 5 you don't need to go there but it says walk by faith not by sight and I think too often the way we live our lives is we don't walk by faith instead we walk by sight not by faith if our eyes tell us something if, if something looks impossible then we believe it to be impossible but we, we forget to put the God aspect God himself into the equation God himself into the situation and so therefore we look nothing like Jesus for example think about some of your neighbors and friends as Frank was praying about some of the people that you guys are meeting in the parks when you look at them and you're hearing their story and you're hearing how lost they are are your eyes telling us this person can't be saved or are you believing by faith that God is going to save them this year and you would actually be surprised if he doesn't or a lot of you guys live in these apartments over here and you hear families next door or above you or underneath you yelling at each other you hear the issues and the unreconciled relationships I mean even in your mission statement you, you guys say that the stones that we are a reconciled and reconciling group so if you believe by faith that when you hear that husband or that wife going at each other do you believe that when you pray that something will change like are, will you be surprised if a month from now you still hear them arguing is that your posture is that your perspective because too often we do just the good Christian thing I'm going to pray for them Lord help them not to fight because they're keeping me up Amen. and that's it or we meet our token unbeliever friend we're like I'm going to share the gospel with them feel better about myself not expect them to get saved but feel good that I spread the gospel of Jesus Christ God wants us to live a life of faith I'll tell you it is so much more exciting to live for Jesus when we see him moment by moment day in day out week in and week out doing radical things is that is that your walk with Jesus prayer becomes easy it's not hard to pray throughout the night it's not hard to pray throughout the day when you feel like he has to come through for you or instead you just feel like you got everything figured out you have an answer for everything you have a plan for everything and you got a bunch of backup plans for everything every time I get arrogant what God does is he kicks some of my security out I'll just share this story in closing lately I think that I've been doing pretty good with my kids I, I think I'm shepherding them well 
and think that I'm discipling them, walking them through Scripture, explaining to them the big picture of God. You know, explaining to them why we're in South LA. And then last night, Seth started sharing with me. He's like, Dad, lately there's been these things in my mind. And they've been telling me to do bad things. And he starts describing to me something that is extremely scary, something that I was not taught in seminary, talking about these voices that he's hearing and how he's continually burdened by these things that tell him to disobey mommy, to throw fans and lights at his brother. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is so far out of any parenting book I've ever read. I was not taught what to do at this moment. And the only thing I knew how to do was just go to God and say, God, you got to come through. I don't know if it's demonic. I don't know if it's a movie he saw. I don't know if it's something a friend told him. All I know is I am freaked out. So God, you have to come through. I can't shepherd him through this. Do you live a life day in and day out like that where you have to look to God or is God continually putting things in your life like he had to do with me get me on my knees again and say Matt you can't parent Seth by yourself you can't be the best dad you need me my prayer for you my prayer for me is that God would put us in these desperate situations where we would have to depend upon Him and that He would give us the posture of faith and the perspective of faith that we would be shocked and surprised if God didn't come through for us. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing a song. And it's a song that you know. You need to help me because it's in Spanish. And there's a phrase in the chorus that says, Savior, you can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can move the mountains? Because honestly, most of the time I don't. And most of the times I pray prayers that are very possible so that I don't ruin God's reputation. But do you pray big, this is not going to translate, very audacious prayers? huge prayers where God has to come through in big ways where people look at a situation and they're like there's no way other to explain this other than God came through so as we sing this song ask God to give you the faith to believe that God can change your heart can change your friend's heart maybe a family member so let me pray Father, I pray that you would help us to have faith. Help us to believe that you can do anything. Or may we not just believe that you, that you are all powerful and you hear our prayers, but may we eagerly and anxiously anticipate every day waiting and watching you to come through for us. So Father, help us to have faith. Help us to see what you want to do through us. Help us to see what you can do without us. So Father, allow us to be more dependent upon you. 
Todo esto en el nombre de Jesús. 